Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. All right. Good morning to all you Cafe Bitcoiners. Good morning, Tomer Strolight. Good morning, Dom Bay, Terrence, Jacob, Brady out in the audience, Bitcoin Chris, any of you others who are regulars. Chris Alema, I'll throw in you an invite if you want to come up here. Morning, everyone. Happy Al Finney running Bitcoin anniversary day. Happy uh, SEC Chaos Day. Excited. Oh boy, these last 24 hours have been quite wild, huh? <laughs> Brady had a tweet yesterday that was absolutely hilarious. It was the Dozeckis guy. And I'm summarizing it, Brady, you could probably say it yourself, but it's like, uh, I don't always approve Bitcoin ETF, but when I do, I really fuck it up. <laughs> Most interesting man in the world. I love it. Yeah. The memes yesterday were incredible. Like it, it was emotionally draining to, to see Bitcoin ETFs approved and then gone. But it was emotionally refilling of the cup, seeing all the hysterical memes that were shared. And Brady, yours was one, one of the best for sure. Someone inscribed on the Bitcoin blockchain, commissioner on brink of second approval for ETFs, which is also pretty classic. They kind of OP return. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is funny. All right, let's roll. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode 512. Shout outs to our supporters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Fountain Overcast, wherever you get your pod. If you don't catch us live on Twitter, our mission is to provide some signal in a sea of noise, teaching people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange feature we call Bitcoin. Today, we will be commemorating Hal Finney and his famous tweet. It's only two words. We'll be talking about apparent SEC or security breaches at the SEC. <laughs> and then we're going to get a little update <clears throat> on the ETF situation. <clears throat> so as I have mentioned over the last week or so, this is my last week of hosting Cafe Bitcoin. The ETFs are popping. I've got work to do. It's time to pass the torch. This is going to continue to be a show. We're going to continue to do it every day. You're going to have some amazing new hosts, Neil Jacobs, P. Tomer Strolight, who is helping me host today, <clears throat> John Har, whom you all know, and Sam Callahan, whom you all know. So it's going to be great. 2024 is going to be an awesome year for Cafe Bitcoin. You'll still be able to come here and get your news and all your, your signal goodness in the morning. <clears throat> all right, let's dig into the stuff. Apparently, Jamie Dibin, he still doesn't Bitcoin. <laughs> this just on Fox, let's roll it. 
There's also a new regulation coming on Bitcoin and famously said recently that you would shut it down if you were in government. Can you give us more clarity on that? I've always said is that Bitcoin doesn't have value. And I don't care that people do it Bitcoin. But what I'd also point out is that the, the, the actual use cases are sex trafficking, tax avoidance, anti-money laundering, terrorism financing. It's not people just buying and selling Bitcoin. That's, there's no value to your buying and selling Bitcoin. It's been a rough year. Okay. Is it just me or does he sound a little unhinged? <laughs> just yeah, a little. Like rough, that was nuts. Rough, rough 20 for, for Jamie, dude. Damn. I just can't believe the audacity. Here we've got all across Twitter, all across all these other platforms, thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people doing exactly what he says they don't do, which is buying and selling Bitcoin for the sake of protecting themselves and going like a straight for terrorism, financing, sex trafficking, all these heinous terror, money laundering, although he said anti-money laundering. It just, he's not really thinking, right? He's spewing vitriol, spitting venom. And, and at the same time, he is the, what's the role that they play in BlackRock's ETF? Like their uh, market maker. Authorized participant. Authorized participant. That's not just in BlackRock, but JP Morgan is an AP and market maker for multiple Bitcoin ETFs. Like he's put him, he puts himself, now nobody gets held to account for being a colossal hypocrite on Wall Street, but. Here he is saying the only purpose of this thing, which I am backing the largest ETF applicants in the world to do is sex trafficking, money laundering, terrorism financing. So is he actually up there saying that this is a good thing? The hypocrisy is just off the charts. Yeah, I caught it. I caught it mid clip and I was like, is he rifling off all the things they've paid fines for in the last few years? But then I was like, oh no, he's talking about Bitcoin. I had to rewind it. I think the thing that this really does, though, unfortunately for Jamie Dimon, is it shows his ignorance because more and more people are figuring out what Bitcoin is. And this narrative of let's just use for illicit activity is empirically false. We have all the data that shows that less than 1% of transactions that occur are used for illicit activity, whereas in the traditional finance system with U.S. dollars, a huge amount of money is being used for illicit activity through banks like JP Morgan. The problem this guy is creating for himself is he's making himself into another Munger. He's making himself into another Peter Schiff. You understand? He's destroying his own credibility as time goes on and more and more people understand. You just, you're just ignorant of the facts, man. Catch up. It's but not Alex, a good look. Do you think it's ignorance or do you think it's the Cantillionaire's game? Do you think there's like some gamemanship? And he's just filling his role that everyone met at the racquetball club. Terrence, we know you weren't there because you were been hosting a lot of spaces. But it was like, Terrence. You know what? I don't, actually. I don't. And the reason I don't is because his body language is and his intonation. I think it's very hard to fake that. If he was, if he had a position, like there was some kind of, and I'm sure he has positions. That's not what I'm saying. What his body language and his voice intonation is saying to me, and I could be wrong, but this is how I'm interpreting it, is he's salty as fuck. BlackRock launched an ETF. You've got all these big players. They're about to be competing for market share in what could be one of the largest financial products in the history of mankind. And he missed the damn boat. And I think he's salty. 
That's it. That's interesting. Clearly, one thing that cannot be true is he tasked his generals, his lieutenants in the research department to say, go and tell me and do really high quality research about what Bitcoin is about and inform me. And they came back and said, oh, it's about sex trafficking. So there's just, there's no way that you actually do sound research and come back with it, with that particular finding. So th this is him reacting viscerally to something. And it, it may be saltiness. It may be some personal experience that, that he, that they had in the bank, who knows uh, what exactly it was, but it, it isn't, I'm sure there's a lot of people watching this who work at uh, JP Morgan who were watching it and just putting their head down in, in, in face palming. Like this is not what we want to hear on the eve of ETFs from the leader of our organization. Yeah. He's majorly salty here because Bitcoin's like an attack on his whole identity and his career, right? He built this, his career on Wall Street and in traditional finance. And it's the same thing with Munger and, and Buffett, right? The history books, they're going to look back on this sort of anti-Bitcoin rhetoric. And that's going to be the last thing people remember as we switch to Bitcoin standard. They're not going to remember their decades of successful investments. They're just going to remember this, that they were anti-Bitcoin. He'll, he'll be famous for being wrong. Just like, it reminds me of, the, I don't know who the guys were. I don't remember their name, but you guys remember when PCs first came out and IBM, one of their top executives was like, we think the entire worldwide market for personal computers is something like eight or 12, maybe. They were just wrong. And this is a, is a similar thing, I think. Terrence? Yes. First, a couple facts. One is JP Morgan's is huge, but their ETF, Assets Under Management or EUM, is quote unquote, only $133 billion compared to BlackRock, which is gigantic and has 427 ETFs with a 2.56 trillion assets under management, the BlackRock ETFs. So yes, Jamie Dimon missed it. It's natural that JP Morgan being so small relative to the others in ETFs might miss it, but he, they are market makers and his saltiness might come from he, what he missed was he looked at Bitcoin as an asset class like gold and not as the future of finance. So Guy Gomes, our Swan's president, had a great um, thread on this yesterday where he's talking about this is about VIP access to the hearts, minds, and portfolios of the digital savvy crowd, right? It's not an ordinary showdown. It's a short showdown like Coke versus Pepsi. Apple versus Windows. And then the last part I'll say is he said that it's way beyond cash. This is a battle for brand recognition in the future finance game. And that part really resonated with me. So this is much bigger. And I think Jamie's salty because he's finally realizing that. It's like, why are Black, why are BlackRock, Fidelity and others, Invesco, Franklin Templeton, all managing over, over a trillion dollars? Why are they so focused on Bitcoin? Why are they devoting so much time, energy, expensive lawyers, the marketing that's about to come from them and the marketing that's already come out for others? Why? So I think he figured it out and he's salty because he screwed up. It's interesting. I, I would just say it's like psychologically, if he realized he'd screwed up, he'd be on a tear to, to find some new strategy to pivot into Bitcoin. What he's realizing is, this, we're not in the race, I guess, in the same way that others are in the race. And so I don't want this 
to be an important race. And it sounds like that's what he's currently caught up in psychologically. It's, I don't want Bitcoin to be important. I want the only thing that it matters for is to be sex trafficking and money laundering and this and that and the other. And so that's what I'm going to say it is over and over again. And maybe if I repeat it enough times, it'll somehow be true. He can't make it true because there's far more people. There's far more people who are aware that's an ignorant narrative. Anyway, let's continue and let's move on. Let's switch gears. I don't want to spend the whole show talking about Jamie Dimon. <laughs> Today is the anniversary of the tweet sent by Hal Finney, where all he said were the two words, running Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin was actually 0.00 US dollars per Bitcoin at the time. So let's take a few moments and discuss what this means. Remember this pioneer in Bitcoin. He's got a quote here that I thought was really good. I'll be quick about this. It seems so obvious to me. Here we are faced with the problems of loss of privacy, creeping computerization, massive databases, more centralization, excuse me. And David Chom offers a completely different direction to go in. One which puts power into the hands of individuals rather than governments and corporations. The computer can be used as a tool to liberate and protect people rather than to control them. It's powerful. It's amazing. At the time that he makes this tweet, January 10th, um, 2009, he's probably the only person besides Satoshi running Bitcoin. And there may be one or two others, but this is Satoshi published. On January 9th, we started to see, we saw the Genesis blog published and Satoshi's mining it. And Hal's the first person who seems to have picked up the baton and said, me too. And so it is historic. The fact that he was on Twitter at all at the time, he probably had a tiny number of followers. I'd be surprised if he even had like over a hundred followers at the time, because Twitter wasn't particularly big. And, and, and Hal was just some esoteric cryptographer working on these things, but it still stands. And, and I guess that was the official launch of Bitcoin Twitter. And there was probably not a lot of Bitcoin tw related tweets for years until things started to heat up. So it, this is the amazing thing, just watching the organic growth and the patient growth of Bitcoin from seeds planted 15 years ago now to having a dozen of the world's largest, America's largest financial firms all applying for permission simultaneously to be able to bring it to their customer bases across the world, but primarily across the U.S. And, and I don't think, again, I keep asking, I don't think we've ever seen any asset have this many uh, companies file to make, it, to make it available simultaneously. It's just, this is unprecedented too. Yeah, I think one of the incredible things too, going off what you were saying, Tomer, is like, this is like the first tweet that Hal did talking about Bitcoin, but he only has 56 posts and probably four of them are uh, Fran, his wife, took over his account after Elon was threatening to delete or deactivate old accounts that hadn't been around. And I remember a year and a half ago when Hal tweeted, everyone was going nuts saying, oh, maybe he's back from the dead or maybe he was hacked or people are going to try and scam using his account. And ultimately, we found out it was his wife took over. But yeah, he only has, like I said, 56 tweets. And of that, probably 52 are him. And just this momentous moment that in history that basically he probably the first person besides Satoshi to be running Bitcoin, which is really cool that we have it. And I'm still mad at Twitter that every time I like it, it disappears. So that's another gripe I got to pick up with Elon. I would love to see what the actual likes on that tweet would be if likes remained on that tweet. 
Oh, yeah, it's, it's an annual tradition to relay tweet on this day. And it's made possible by the fact that Twitter seems to remove our liking of it. I like it and retweet it every year. Does that happen with all old tweets or is this like specific to this one? No, there are specific tweets that for whatever reason gets flagged somehow and then the retweets and the likes disappear and it gets reset over and over again. I've seen other tweets like that and they're generally treats, tweets that are super, I don't think Hal Finney's tweet here is very controversial. I've seen it on other tweets that are super controversial that trigger people. Doesn't mean they're not true, right? But they do that. It's weird. Anybody else have any thoughts, Hal Finney? I, maybe just one quick thing. We're not going to spend more time on this show, but there's a lot of ways to learn about how, who Hal Finney was and his history. And there's a long uh, recording that he made, uh, which is his autobiography. So for people who are interested, you can find all of these things and you can learn who he is. But, he, but just at the high level, he's really the first person that Satoshi managed to persuade to run Bitcoin, improve it accept it and and so he's like this godfather of bitcoin and who sadly passed away to als only a few years afterwards if we look at satoshi as prometheus which is a character from roman mythology of course he stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity and suffered the consequences of being having his guts eaten out by vultures day in and day out for their for eternity but if satoshi is prometheus then he passed that torch to hal it was the first bitcoin transaction of 10 bitcoins from from a 50 coin 50 bitcoin coinbase uh transaction uh from that was sent 10 bitcoin to hal as the first transaction on the bitcoin network as far as we know hal was the first node on the bitcoin network so he's an absolute legend of humanity, instrumental in the defiant act of stealing money back from the monetary gods and giving it back to humanity in this digital age, uh, an almost impossible feat. And so here we are. Thank you, Hal. We all appreciate you deeply. You fucking legend. I thought a moment of silence there was a little appropriate for that. Okay, let's keep rolling here. As many of you, there was like little bit of drama yesterday. <laughs> the price of Bitcoin spiked and came back down. Why did this happen? Okay, so here's a little bit of context. This is from the Bitcoin Veterans Daily Intelligence Briefing. A misleading tweet from the SEC handle triggers significant Bitcoin volatility. Bitcoin's value experienced a turbulent Tuesday due to the SEC's apparently hijacked X account, mistakenly proclaiming green light for all spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds, ETFs. So the price shot up to something like 48000 and then it, Gary Gensler tweeted out, oh, yeah, we were basically compromised, and then it dropped back down to around 45000 After all of this happened, a senator from Tennessee, Bill Haggerty, is now demanding clarity from the SEC, pointing to possible market manipulation. <laughs> you can't make this up. Oh, man. It... Like again, it was just this crazy emotional uh, up and down. Everyone thought we'd cross the finish line, and then not because there had been this official tweet. There's just so much to take away from it, and still to process. So first, the questions of what impact does this, doesn't this have? Was there 
was there a party who had compromised the account that was trying to actually profit from this false release as opposed to just having a gag, having a lark with everybody else? And a big reminder in the context of Bitcoin for me, which is these systems that rely on fallible, corruptible humans will eventually fail and be corrupted. And that's what Bitcoin one of the fundamentally most important things, if not the most important aspect of Bitcoin, is it's not in the, in the control of any person. Bitcoin is not compromised, right? Bitcoin is not going to send out incorrect tweets. Every block is a valid block by its own rules and can only contain valid transactions, can't contain double spends. This is what we need. And the SEC kind of proved it or the conditions of this thing was yet another example of the proof of why we need something that we are not trusting fallible, potentially incompetent people and potentially corrupt people. I'm not saying the SEC is, but I'm saying with all these other systems, people can get in control of them and make them do things that are different from the promises that they were said to make. And nobody can make Bitcoin do anything different than what was promised in the white paper. Still delivering every, every day, nonstop. Supply cap no double spending, permissionless, all these great features. Evaluating what occurred, there was a tweet that came out from X itself, tw Twitter itself, that says, we can confirm the account. SEC Gov was compromised. We have completed a preliminary investigation. Based on the investigation, the compromise was not due to any breach of X's systems, but rather due to an unidentified individual obtaining control over a phone number associated with the SEC Gov account through a third party. So there's two parts of this. The first is, <clears throat> apparently they gain control over a phone number. Now, typically the way you do that is through a SIM swap. If there was in fact a SIM swap, this was also a social engineering attack, meaning they had to have known <clears throat> somehow who was managing that account with what the phone was, right? They had to have figured that out. So they did intelligence work to determine who the person was that had access to the account. They figured out the phone number on the account and then performed, I'm guessing, a SIM swap. The second part of this, which actually is the reason why they were able to get away with it is apparently, and again, this is according to Twitter, we can also confirm that the account did not have two-factor authentication enabled at the time. and The account was compromised. We encourage all users to enable this extra layer of It's so ridiculous. It's just mind-blowing to me. Number one, guys, use two-factor authentication. It's there for a reason. It's a good thing. It's very easy to get SIM swapped nowadays. People who are involved in Bitcoin, guys, everybody is a target. Like financial fraud is through the roof. Their entire armies of extremely competent. These are not script kitties. This is like organized crime level state hacker level type stuff where there are attacks that go on every single day in financial services and especially in digital assets. How do I know? How would I know? I work with a company. We see it all the time. So yeah, 2FA. But yeah, what about how did the, how did this, I don't know, man. How can you not have 2FA on a freaking SEC account? Alex, I'd, I'd piggyback on that and say use physical 2FA, right? Because even if you're just using SMS, then you, you can still get SIM swapped. But if you have a YubiKey or a physical device, then, you know, if they get your password and they get your phone number, they still can't get in unless they have that physical device. And you could have multiple, right? So if you lose one, then you could still get into your accounts. I think that's 
definitely the most secure way. And public facing Bitcoiners are going to be a target. If they're not already, they're going to be a target in the future. So you definitely need to uh, secure your devices. Yeah, and you don't even need to go that far. Uh, you can just use your phone as your second device. And don't use text. Don't use text to FA. It doesn't work. It's actually just a, a psyop. <laughs> it doesn't work. Use, use the app-based 2FA, like Google Authenticator or Authy. At the very least, that's table stakes. Then YubiKey is like next level after that. But if you have text-based 2FA turned on, go get app-based 2FA today on all your major accounts, if not every account. There's going to be a time in the very near future where Bitcoiners are going to have millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Like you want to use the best security practices possible. That's obvious to me, but it's, I don't think that you can say it enough. I still know people who have tremendous amounts of Bitcoin in value and they, maybe they still haven't even backed up their seed words on a seed plate, or maybe the value of their stack is going up and they haven't moved to a multi-sig which I personally think is the direction this will all go when you have enough value to protect. But it's one of those things you got to constantly be reevaluating your own security. Like we are all, the way that the ecosystem continues to evolve, we get better at this. We have better ways of securing things and you got to continually evaluate your situation. Yeah, a lot of people I talk to, they let me know, hey, I'll get to it once I have something that's more more of a target to be stolen and it's, Hey, that can happen really quick in this space. Start practicing and anticipate. I saw a tweet yesterday, like secure your bag. Like it's 10 X what it is. Not that it's going to be 10 X Joe. I see Joe in the audience, thumbs down. No, I'm joking, but secure it. Like it's going to be your head of the game. Wait, it's not going to a million in days. I'm, I'm trying to bait Joe up here. <laughs> Joe's at 50. So I think one is bearish. I think I saw a tweet where Joe said 50 million. And I saw a disclaimer at the bottom, but like the Pepsi commercial for the Harrier jet, I just, I don't know. That might've been added afterwards. So I got to take a look at it. So apparently the SEC is going to have to investigate itself. <laughs> Securities lawyers are telling Fox business. That, that the SEC is going to have to investigate itself for market manipulation after moving the price of Bitcoin up and down following the hacked tweet that it approved the first spot Bitcoin ETF and then saying it was fake. What are they going to do? Find themselves? I don't know. What, what happens here? Will they, do they collect the fine if they find themselves? Do they have to write themselves a check? It's just so indicative of, and look, I'm not trying to be doomy here, but it's so indicative of the clown world and ourselves in when it comes to institutions that you're supposed to quote trust. It's, this is why it's time for Bitcoin straight up. It's why it's time trusting human beings and institute where humans are fallible. We make mistakes, right? There are certain things that probably shouldn't be entrusted to humans. Yeah. This is a deep rabbit hole and it's probably not the ideal topic for today's show because we want to talk about the ETF approvals, but it really is the case that when things in civilization start breaking down, especially when the money is broken, then other things, that leads to other things breaking. And I, I think that's why the, the expression fix the money, fix the world in Bitcoin resonates so strongly with so many people because people are not incentivized to do things for the long term when the money can't be saved for the long term, or they have to take their eye off the ball of doing their job for money 
they have to do their job for money, which they then have to invest and gamble to try to maintain its purchasing power. So they just focus on the short term. And when people only focus on the short term, they're, they're not thinking of the long-term consequences of their short-term behavior. They're not building things to last. There's danger and things as they age. They're, like, there's just, there's so many things that go wrong. When you have a long-term relationship with somebody, you don't lie to them. You don't steal from them. But when it's hit and miss, some tourist in a market knows that they're never going to see this vendor again. The vendor knows they're never going to see the tourist again. There's just much less trust to be, to be established there. And I, I think this is what's accelerated with broken money in a big way. I know many other people do. There's many ways to describe it. We're just, we desperately need Bitcoin. We desperately need this thing where it's a long-term thing that ironically, because nobody trusts anybody within the system, everything's verified. It's something you can trust because there's no untrustworthy components in it that may be compromised. Yeah. Okay. So irregardless of the shenanigans from yesterday, I don't see any reason why this thing's not still going to go forward. Does anybody at this point doubt that the, we'll see an ETF approval today? And if so, why? Y'all are bullish. If so, the only reason I can think of is that Bitcoin always inflicts the most pain. So is it the most pain to pass, to approve these ETFs and silence all the haters or the most pain to inflict it on Bitcoiners who have been expecting this to happen for months and months, not years and years at this point. If it's going to happen, it's the most pain thesis that's going to be to blame. I could say something to lure Joe up right now. That's inaccurate, but I'm not going to. We have to get Joe up here on honest terms, right? Yeah, I was going to say, rather than in No, we don't. Yeah. No, we don't. By, no, by no, hook or no, crook. I'm okay with doing whatever you got to do to get a good speaker. So let me, so then me. in that case, let me just say there's, it could get denied because of the hack thing on the, the SEC Twitter handle. That's a very valid reason where they could just come out and say, Hey, we got hacked. Joe, you're supposed to come up by now. No, I'm just joking. That's very inaccurate. Joe pointed that out the other day. All right. So there's a Bloomberg ETF analyst, apparently, that is saying all systems go for spot Bitcoin ETF approval. Most likely we'll see formal approvals today. One guy's opinion, maybe yes, maybe no. But as Brady said, I think everybody's pretty bullish right now. So bullish that it will be approved. In terms of what causes the most pain, shit, if the price of Bitcoin goes up to 50 and 60 and 75 and 100, that causes a lot of pain if you're still trying to stack. The days of being able to buy a whole Bitcoin for most people are, are about to go away, I think. I do think there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations between brokers and their clients when this thing is out. Trying to discuss, should I allocate, should I not allocate? How much should I allocate? Uh, is it should I actually buy one coin's worth of units or should I buy some round dollar number worth of units? How, you know, should it be a percentage of my portfolio? It's always, there's as many conversations as there are combinations of people with their brokers that end up happening here. So prepare for, and, and, and there's a long learning curve to be had here, right? There will be brokers who said, oh, I just saw Jamie Diamond and look, this is something that is backed by sex traffic. And then there'll be someone else who saw it. All, who's seeing all these ads on TV will say, wow, this is the future of money and the future of technology and the blessings that have been given by the regulators 
must mean that it's time for this. And I've heard about it for years. So it's just going to be all over the map. There's going to be a lot of noise. There'll probably be a lot of volatility. Everyone's speculation is generally upwards, but things are going to move on news, which is often going to be mistaken, needs to be corrected, needs to, funds need to be re, uh, uninvested, reinvested. It's just a free market at work and it's often chilled with noise r- rather than pure signal. Challenging narratives. Yeah. An interesting scenario that happened, I won't say exactly where, but let's just say there's a union that added Bitcoin to the balance sheet. And information came out that last year, a much larger holding in a different fund had a significant loss. And I'll just tell you guys, there's questions being asked already, right? Hey, like, here's one thing we're doing successful, even in the short term that we've been doing it with Bitcoin and another fund where we have a third party person with large fees suffered a significant loss in the market and what was a pretty up year for most what's going on and we know bitcoin performance can go both ways but we talked about it the other day like these things are gonna force people to challenge the narratives that they've been told and it's going to be interesting to watch across all fronts Oh my God, that tweet that just came from the swan handle is hilarious. Post that thing. There's a great meme. I don't want to try to describe it. It would ruin it. Put it in the nest though. That is damn funny. Oh, Terrence is going to catch some heated racquetball today. All right. As many of CNBC has been an interesting place lately. (laughs) Joe Kernan is obviously... A Bitcoiner. He might even be like in toxic maxi territory. <laughs> and you can tell he's, you can tell by the body language. If you watch how he interacts with his other co hosts, you can tell he's been harassing them for a while lately. Though, so there's a interesting squawk box that just came out, CNBC squawk box with Tom Lee. And he, Joe's asking him what he thinks about a five year price target. Let's roll that. that that's an interesting clip. That's yeah. What you're, that's, yeah, that's what you're saying. It was transitory all along. Yeah. It wasn't, it was, it is, it wasn't it. So now we decided we're back to that. Okay, so yeah. just to, to end on, give me your, your one year and five year price target for Bitcoin. I think in the next 12 months, something over 100,000, maybe 150,000. And on the next five years, again, it's, it's a, there's a finite supply. And now we have a, a potentially huge increase in demand with a spot Bitcoin approval. So I think in five years, something around half a million would be potentially achievable. It's all just so mind boggling, Tom. And anybody that, that just says you're just insane, hasn't been following your work. You might be, but uh, you've got enough credibility with all your good calls to where at least I would right. think some skeptics would it, say, it would, Tom, would start thinking yeah. about it. Tom, Tom, does it make you think about it, Andrew? Sure. My question to Tom is, do you think that this is going to upend the idea that people will buy Bitcoin directly? Meaning people who historically would have wanted to buy Bitcoin, do they continue to buy Bitcoin through a Coinbase or through some kind of other platform and exchange? Or do you think it, it basically becomes not a speculation, but a just an investment through ETFs and that's how this all works? I think there's probably a generational divide at work. I think that a lot of the Younger generation of investors want to be my keys, my coin. So they want to own the private keys. But as there's a 
a generation of folks that would rather allocate through their 401k or through public markets or liquid assets. And if you look at some the percentage of assets held by those over age 50, it's close to 76% of all wealth in America. It's over $120 trillion. So I think that cohort is still going to prefer to own it through public markets and public proxies. Cool. All right, Tom, I'm going to pay BlackRock's fee. Just, just, they'll plant some trees or something for me. No, for So the really interesting talk. thing to me, aside from the price targets, is how he's talking about this generational divide. We were basically talking about that a little earlier with Jamie being salty potentially. So what do you have here? You have a situation where traditionally, TradFi, you've got generations of people who are accustomed to trusting some centralized, trusted authority with their wealth. Yet we're at a point with the human race where there's a lot of bifurcation. You've got all of the older folks who still feel that way because that's how they've grown up. But then you've got all these younger generations who are like, that's not a great idea. And so that will be very interesting how that pans out. A, you're going to have capital from the older folks going in through the ETFs, but then all the younger folks are like, own your own Bitcoin. Tomer? Yeah, I think that this is a, there's a bunch of analogies, but I, this to me is like the analogy of when Windows became, like Windows 95, making the personal computer accessible to just about everybody. Before that, people had to use computers at work, for work, and they were clunky, they were difficult to use. And, and, and Microsoft had been working on this for some period of time and Apple didn't respond. So we're setting aside the history. When Windows 95 came out, it was a huge event for Microsoft and for the personal computer industry because everywhere now it was as easy as pressing the start button. And there were probably many computer purists who said, you don't really know what's going on under the hood. You're not really learning how to use a computer, yada, yada, which is like us. You're not really owning Bitcoin. It's it. It's not, the, it's not the real deal. It's not the real thing. Uh, but it was an order of magnitude leap forward for the era of personal computing. And there's a lot, I think there's lots of examples where some usability, like the, the invention of the internet browser, though, the, to replace people having to br browse the internet and navigate the internet via command line, which is what was the case before. These are the kind of leap forwards that are happening. And I think that's, the historic importance here, it's not like Bitcoin's no longer closed off to people who aren't prepared to learn how to use Bitcoin. Uh, it's open to all people who are investing, uh, who have, which is, I think it was like some 80% of Americans with 82% of Americans with an income over a hundred thousand or something like that is very significant. And, and this is the opening of the, of those floodgates, making it super easy. While it's not necessarily recommended for everybody many people are going to use it and that's going to affect everybody because if we're talking about the price, liquidity, acceptance, understanding, familiarity, recognition, all of these things are going to move forward in a huge way. And I do think the advertising is going to be mind boggling. I think there's going to be tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars spent in a very short period of time. Just like there was when Windows 95 launched, there will be a big marketing campaign, this time for many ETFs and, and many people proposing other things. I'll turn it over to whoever wants to take over. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think that it's going to be split. I think there's, there's going to be a generational divide as well as a, a learning curve. 
Uh, I think that a lot of people that are, that have been here for a while, right? We custody our own keys, whether it be through self-custody or via multi-sig. There's going to be those people in the future. They're going to be like, oh my God, you hold your own keys. And then there's going to be those people that have them through the ETFs. Now I'm with the, I'm with Max Kaiser. Uh, thought process on this. I think a lot of people are going to, you know, miss out on their, on owning their Bitcoin because they're going to have it through the centralized entities such as BlackRock. If anything does happen, you'll get cash instead of your Bitcoin versus you having your own Bitcoin and having your own keys. But I think that's going to be a big a divide here. And those that take the deep dive and take the orange pill will understand that. And there's always going to be those people that, that don't want to have that responsibility. So I do see people that self-custody their own keys as like the, we're going to look at, going to be looked at in all versus the people that have their Bitcoin with BlackRock. Thanks for sharing your thoughts there. I want to ask Sam Callahan. Good morning, by the way, Sam. I want to ask Sam, okay, what is your current assessment of the landscape in regards to Bitcoin ETF approval? And then just any other general comments you want to make in context of what we've been talking about so far? Good morning. Yeah, I don't know if I don't have much to add in terms of the ETF. It's been beaten into the ground in terms of all the narratives. I do agree with Bitcoin Chris. I think people love convenience and I think the ETFs are going to be extremely popular with a lot of people. But over time, as they learn about it, I do hope that they'll start to understand what makes Bitcoin special and then they'll decide to take self-custody from there. And they're going to pay for that convenience. They're going to pay every single year in fees. And God forbid something really terrible happens with the Bitcoin that's underlies these ETFs, they might learn a really hard lesson in counterparty risk. And the hope is that doesn't happen for them, but at the same time, it won't really affect Bitcoin, the protocol and anybody holding their own private keys aren't going to be affected as well. So you're going to pay for that convenience basically. And in terms of the ETF over the next 12 months, I think it's significant. I think you really could see tens of billions of dollars flow into these products. If you, even everyone brings up GLD, well, GLD brought in $3.8 billion in its first year of trading back then. In today's dollars, that's like a little over $6 billion. And that was just one gold ETF. This will be multiple Bitcoin ETFs. So I think across all the ETFs, we could, I think it's reasonable to expect about $10 billion as a conservative estimate. But it's important to note that you need supportive macro picture behind that. It doesn't matter if you have the on-ramps and the pipes in place, if you don't have proper liquidity conditions. And so when you move forward, I think one thing that could put a damper on things is if the Fed and the, the Treasury do something unthinkable, which is the politicians suddenly go, oh my gosh, look at these deficits. Oh my gosh, look at these trillion dollar deficits. We got to cut spending. We got to implement austerity measures. And the Fed goes, yeah, we're not going to cut rates. We're going to keep rates elevated. We're not going to stop shrinking our balance sheet. We're going to keep doing that. And liquidity conditions don't improve, but actually deteriorate. You can see all asset prices fall. And if the Fed suddenly has this change of mindset and goes, oh, we're not going to intervene in, in markets. We're not going to distort asset prices. We're not going to blow asset bubbles up. I, I say this with a shit grin because I think the probabilities of that are extremely low and it's actually going to go the other way and liquidity conditions are going to improve in 2024. And that's going to actually be a tailwind. And these ETFs just represent an on-ramp to make it easier than ever before to gain exposure to Bitcoin. But I just had to say that because you need broader macro conditions to be supportive of Bitcoin for these on-ramps to basically 
do what we think they're going to do, which is cause a ton of inflows. I think the overall thesis for a lot of Bitcoiners and in this room is that liquidity conditions are going to improve and they will be more stimulative policies moving forward. That's what the market's pricing in right now. But these ETFs are a big deal. They really are a big deal. They're a big deal for institutions who are currently restricted from accessing spot Bitcoin, really due to like regulatory uncertainties around financial advisors, how to custody it legally. Um, a lot of them are just afraid. It is possible today, uh, but there, you have to really be orange-pilled and, and want to do that to take that risk. Um, given the regulatory uncertainty, then a lot of them work with broker-dealers and they'll say, hey, I want to buy Bitcoin on behalf of my clients. And they'll go to their broker-dealers and the broker-dealers will say that, no, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do that because of the regulatory uncertainties and they're restricted from trading Bitcoin. And so an ETF fixes that. It's just a security wrapper. And it'll make it as easier than ever before for these institutions to just say, okay, let's do it. This is the best performing asset class seven to the last 10 years. There's no reason for us not to allocate a small percentage of our clients' funds into this asset. And then that could be a huge driver of Bitcoin's price moving forward. So I just see it as positive development overall, but there are trade-offs with it and you just need macro conditions to be supportive of it. All right, we got about nine minutes left in the show today. So let's move towards wrapping up. Anybody who has any other comments that they want to make, thoughts that they want to share, we will, of course, be live streaming. As soon as the announcements are made, we will be covering play-by-play -play on all of Swan's channels. We'll have a space running. We'll also have, so keep your eye on the Swan YouTube channel as well. We'll go live there with a live stream as well with coverage of what's going on as these things we're expecting to launch still today, sometime around 4 through 6 p.m. Eastern is the current estimate. Are you saying, Alex, we'll do it live? Yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to log out. So thank you guys for having me up. Shout out to the Swan team. Shout out to you, Alex. Everybody here, we're pretty bullish. We've been in the space for a while. If you're new here, buckle up. If you are able to self-custody your own keys, take advantage of that opportunity now, because I don't think that'll be, you know, here much longer heading into the future with what's all coming down the pipeline with all the money printing and CBDCs. So just be on the, be, just be diligent. Jeff Booth, I really love Jeff Booth videos. Check out Jeff Booth. Because we're measuring Bitcoin from a system that's flawed and we need to make sure that we're not, you know, we're not sidetracked by the U.S., the shitty U.S. dollar, right? So just keep stacking stacks. Smash by today before the ETF. Smash by half the ETF. Smash by all-time highs. We smash by all time. So with that being said, Bitcoin Chris checking out. Love you guys. Peace. Cousin to say one thing, Alex, with the ETFs, and was talking about it yesterday. We're always encouraging people to go the self-custody route, right, versus any third party. But Sam was saying... There are some people inevitably for whether it's ease, whether it's because they have money in a, you know, in a retirement account or 401k that they wouldn't be able to grab otherwise. And that's what they have available. Whatever the reason, I think it's always good for some people I've been encountering that are going to go that route to encourage them. One of the best things about, and Tomer was on the space. We were talking about this the other day. One of the best things about the Bitcoin community is there's been people that have rung the bell on major blunders, whether it's FTX, scams, pending crises, et cetera. And not the incentives of the ETFs and these massive money managers are definitely for it to go, but encourage people that get the ETF to tap into that Bitcoin community, because number one, they'll find self-custody 
and learn more. But number two, you know, encourage them that, hey, this is a new product and new people handling Bitcoin. Yes, they're capable, but they've made some mistakes in the past. And just keep your eyes on this and monitor it. Don't just assume that because the third party is managing the ETF that everything's going to work out perfectly. Yeah, there could be some serious volatility ahead for sure. Anyone else? Closing thoughts? Bitcoin, not ETF. All right. That's it for today then. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. This afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, Alex Epstein, the uh, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, is joining Sam Callahan on Swan Signal Live to discuss Bitcoin mining and environmental impacts of such. You should check it out. It's going to be great on the Swan YouTube channel. Also, keep your eye on Swan YouTube and Twitter today as we will be streaming live ETF coverage with the play-by-play. As soon as these things get announced and go live, we will also be going live here on Twitter Spaces as well as on YouTube. So keep an eye on that today. If you have not gotten your tickets for Pacific Bitcoin, you can use promo code CAFE for a discount, fully refundable, I believe until the end of February, if I don't have that wrong. That's about it. You've been listening to CAFE Bitcoin. The place for your morning news preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Fountain. We can't catch the live show here. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, who is the sponsor of this show. I'm your host, Alex Stanzik. We are having a bunch of new hosts coming up next week. Very excited for that. It's going to be great. Thanks again to the speakers who come up here all the time, spending your personal time to teach people about Bitcoin. I appreciate and admire all of you for doing that. That is what I call being on the mission. Because we got a lot of people to teach about this thing. There's only a couple of roads to go here. Very important. Love you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>